today we're going to study memory of Jared Orchen, the Aftora of Tishabov. A week from today will be Tishabov. On Tishabov day, we are reading Aftora too. In the morning, we're reading. We're actually reading two Aftoras on Tishabov. In the morning and afternoon. The afternoon we read the Aftora like every other Thursday. In the morning we have a special Aftora dedicated for Tishabov. And it's a page 1509. The Aftora is on the book of Jeremiah, a half of chapter 8, and three quarters of chapter 9. A long Aftora actually. It's more Aftora of lamentation. Kind of Jeremiah is lamenting before the destruction. He sees with his spirit, with his eyes, he so to speak, sees the future. He's seeing the destruction of the temple and he tells the Jews, what are you doing? What's going to be here? He cries in advance on what is going to happen. To be Jeremiah was not easy. He was a prophet who, who, who predicted the, the, the bad future, the doom and gloom, and it was, in the big, people didn't believe him many times. And he, on one hand, he loved the people so much, but he had to warn them from the, from the calamity that comes their way if they don't change. Then let's start to read a little bit, and we'll take it from there. It's on cha page 1509, the bottom there, I will. I will eradicate them from the world, says God. There will be no grapes left on the vine and no figs on the fig tree. The leaves will be obliterated, and I will give them enemies who will remove them from the world. That's very, very bad news. God who said that we will eradicate the Jews from the world. There will be no grapes on the, on, on, on the wine, on, on the wine, on the wine, and there will be no figs. Nothing will be there. And even whatever will be, the enemies will come and remove it. When the enemy comes, the people of the fields will say, why are we sitting around like bait for our enemies? Like why waiting, we're sitting here, yeah? Let's get. Let's gather together and come to the fortified cities. Oh, okay. To the fortified cities, though even there we will probably be destroyed. For God, our God, has destroyed us. He has made us drink bitter hemlock, for we have sinned against God. What's hemlock? The poison. God is given. Go ahead. They hope for peace, but nothing is good. They hope for a time of relief, but instead there is terror. That, uh, that I must tell you, I'm sorry for bringing you here to learn this, but it's not not exciting news. He says they will be, even when they run away from the open places to the fortified cities, it's not going to help, because the enemy will come in the fortified city. Even they, uh, he says that they were the hope for good, and it's not coming. The for relief, and it's not going, and it's coming, and terror is coming. I mean, that's something, though. What means something? That that they they were hoping, so they were thinking, hoping for peace. They were so hoping, but they were not just doing complete uh, de degenerates. They weren't like really. I mean, why would what would it, what made them so bad? In a minute, we'll see. What made them so bad? Who was the enemy that was coming to destroy the temple? Babylon. The Babylonian. 
read the next word. The sorting of horses will already be heard from Dan. Okay. And the sorting horses will be heard already from Dan. Where is Dan? North. Due north. North. You were there? Anybody was there in Israel? There's a place it's called Tel Dan. In the north, very high, next to Kiryat Shmonen. Yeah. Tel Dan. Why it says from Dan we will hear already the noise of the of the horses? From the edge of Israel will be in Jerusalem. We'll hear already it's coming. But the Medrash tells us something very very interesting. No, then with the place Dan is mentioned already. There's a tribe. There is a tribe. Uh. But the place Dan, it's named after the tribe. But it's ready. It's re mentioned already in the Torah. You see, this is said by Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived 2,500 years ago. But much before that was written about a war that they came until Dan. And by Dan they stopped. They didn't go any further. They didn't continue to war. Was somebody in the history of the Bible was going to war and he stopped when he reached to Dan. Tell Dan. That, that Joshua. Before Joshua. Oh, Joshua. It wasn't, it, wasn't it Abraham? Beautiful. It was the, with the, uh, with the uh, four, four and five kings. Four and five oh, kings. Yeah, right. Right. You can go on. You don't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the story was a, we, there is a story that Ab there was a war between four kings and five kings. How we know about the war? Because the, in the war was one of the kings. Were, the place of Sodom and Gomorrah was involved in the war, and the four kings took over the five kings and took the people as. Uh, Prisoners of war. And Lot was one of them. And Lot was one of them, yes. And somebody came who came to Abraham to tell him that Lot, that Lot is, is, uh, is in war. Um, no, no, no. Angel. Was the, was no. Was the angel? Who came to tell Abraham this, that Abraham is, then, that Lot is, is a prisoner of war, was captured? I was a um, servant. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody a little big. It wasn't Chum. It wasn't. No. Og. Og, Mr. Og. It's not written in the text, Og. It's written a refugee came. And Abraham went to war after the, the five, four kings. And he fought them until. Done. But Rashi says, why the Torah writes up till done? That by he came to done, he couldn't, he didn't have the strength anymore. Why? Why came to done? He did not have the strength. And here he says, from done comes the Torah. In done we are already the enemy. What is it about done? What happened in till done? The place exists today. There's a place that's called Teldan, and they've excavated a whole structure. What happened in Teldan? Idol worship, I guess. Yeah, idol worship. In Dan was idol worshiping. Which idol worshiping was in Dan? Baal. 
No. Involved in their bar. Or was it the one where they sacrificed the children? No. Pior? Pior wasn't no. But when, when was idol worshipping in big scales in the Jewish people? In the first, during the first temple. When, a, when? Towards the end. No, no, it was before that. Oh. You know, we all know about the golden calf. I have some news for you. The Jewish people, it wasn't one, one time event. They were washing the golden calf. They made a mistake. Was it showed up? They did no, it no. in the north. Oh, oh you're talking about during the during Israel. Jeroboam. Jeroboam. Right. Jeroboam and Nevod. Where they did it? In the north. Tell Dan. Tell Dan. They did it in two places. What happened is like this. We mentioned that a few times that after Solomon died, the king the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, right? Rehavon was the son of Solomon, he stayed in Jerusalem. And then the ten tribes of Israel, the ten lost tribes, made their own kingdom. Who was the king? Jeroboam ben Nevot. Jeroboam. He decided if the Jews would go to Jerusalem, <laughs> what will be with them? They will, all, they will all become members of Jerusalem. He closed the ways to Jerusalem. But the Jews need to serve that he established two centers to go to. One in Dan, in the north, and one in Bethel, not far from Jerusalem. North of Jerusalem and he established two golden calves. Can you believe it? Golden calves! And the Jews, and he encouraged it, and he established a new holiday. We used to go on the 15th, on the 15th of Tishrei at Sukkot. A month later, he made a holiday. This is the time to go to the idols, worship him. And he was the first one to do it, and everybody came with him. It was a whole story. And the center stood for hundreds of years, I think. And they discovered the excavation that they argue that this is the place that used to worship idols. And what was the purpose of the king doing that? Shouldn't have to go to Jerusalem. Just to split them away. It was a way to distinguish themselves from Yeah. From and who also protected the king because he wanted to protect his own kingship because yeah, otherwise sure. Because the king of, uh, of uh, Judah would be reading uh, that they would be hearing him speak as if he was the king and that makes him lesser. But my, qu my question yeah, yeah. is that, um, I'm sorry, I lost my train. Oh, then the yeah. point is, we have three stories of Dan. Time of Abraham was done. Yeah. That's 4,000 years ago. This story is 2,500 years ago, give or take. And the story with the Jerabam, Yerobam ben Avot, is 3,000 years ago, close. Then Abraham couldn't fight more than Dan, lost, lost his strength when he came to Dan. But Rashi says, the Talmud says, why he lost his strength? Because he had a feeling that his descendants were going to worship idols now. But he didn't have the strength to continue. He lost it, he didn't even know why. And here, why this Tzoros come from Dan? Because it was a place of idol worshiping. And here comes the first Tzoros from the, even that the destruction of the first temple was already probably a hundred years after the, after Dan was gone. The ten tribes were already exiled, were gone. But still that was the beginning of the place of the Tzoros because it was a place for idol worshiping. Was that considered more of a major center than, um, than Bethel? Bethel? 
Probably. Now, why did they choose a golden calf? I still don't get it. Golden calf, every Jew learned the Torah knows that a golden calf is a terrible thing. Why they chose a golden calf again? What, wasn't the cow of Egypt a uh, special animal there? Yeah, but, but Jerabam was already quite a few years after, after uh, Egypt. It was 300 years after Why two? Like the cherubs? No, oh, that's interesting that you say. They, they, some commentators want to say that he wanted to do something like the cherubs, some type of reflection of it, that's why he chose a golden calf. Other commentators say that it's written when Je Moses blessed Je uh, the 12 tribes, he blessed, he blessed the 12 tribes, what he compared them to what? To the no, Joseph, the tribe of Joseph. To what he compared Anax. them? Anax. That's why they made a calf. Exactly. How, how do you, those are different animals. Well, in Psalms, this talks about a calf. No, I don't ox. think so. A calf is a baby cow. But an ox is not a cow. Right, that's right. And I don't know how they, they say that. Maybe the, the, uh, the owns are the same or something. They wanted, they say they connected to a Prosher Erdolor, a Kahn, kind of. Maybe the, the owns is compared to some. What's our name? One second, let's see. Sorry. Unless they call yeah, a baby ox I mean, also a calf. That's an ox. I suspect they probably do. There is a connection. I can promise you this. This is coming from the from uh, Don Isaac Abarbanel. Then it's Cher Shere Odorloi Vekan Irem Kanov, number seventeen. What's the Irax? O R Y X. Isn't that the one with the real onyx? Irax. Irax. Is that the one with the really long horns? Yeah, I think it's somehow it has a connection to Golden Cave. I can tell you that. In any case, here we're going back here. By the way, that's the old job of the rabbis on the Medrash. How they put the whole thing together, and suddenly everything makes sense. Everything is connected. The baby ox, by the way, I just looked up, is called a stat calf. Here you go. The calf is in there. Exactly. Listen, I'm not a zoologist, but I'm a Baba Nell wouldn't, wouldn't <laughs> make the connection if it wouldn't be connected. I'm sure they don't do that. Okay, we'll go back to number 16. This no... This snorting of horses will already be heard from Dan when the enemy reach there. The whole land will shake from the noise of the uh, warriors. They will come and devour the land and its man-made co uh, contents, cities, and their inhabitants. For behold, I will incite against you enemies that are like serpents, snakes, which cannot be har uh, charmed, and they will bite you, says Hashem. What means they cannot be charmed? Can animal be charmed? Yeah. But they say, the commentaries say, back to zoology, that uh, a snake, when he gets old, he doesn't hear well. When he's young, he can scare him with noise and this. When he's old, uh, he doesn't hear. He's losing his hearing sight, his hearing powers, and therefore you cannot charm him. And so will be the enemies that you'll not be able to charm them. They will attack you and you'll not be able to stop. Is there a connection with Dan and, and serpents? 
Right, is it, what, is it yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, used to bite the, the heel. The, in, the, in the blessings from Jacob to from Jacob to Dan, he bless him. He should be like a snake. Yeah, like yeah, very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything is connected, guys. Go ahead, continue. Okay. I try to overcome my grief, but my heart is sick within me. And how can it not be when in my eyes the exile has already begun? And it, and it is as if I hear the voice of my people crying from a distant land. He All says, Jeremiah says, I hear it already. It's so real that I hear the crying. How can I not be sick of, 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 the, of pain? Go ahead. All this could have been avoided through prayer. For is Hashem not in Sayyidah? Zion to listen. Zion. Zion to listen to your prayers. Isn't the Jewish people's king in her midst, waiting to respond to her prayers? Why, instead of praying to me, do they continue to anger me with their graven idols, their foreign vanities? Okay. What he says here, the the prophet says, now is the time to pray. You'll go to exile and you pray from there. Pray now. Isn't God in Zion? Isn't he waiting here now for you? He's waiting for your prayers. But when he's in Zion, when he's in Jerusalem, you're busy with the idols. Instead, I want you to pray now. Later you'll be praying, you'll be kind of a little too late, you'll be already out of Israel. God will still hear the prayers, but not in the same, but you'll be already exiled. Where did he tell this to the people? This? Yeah, in Israel. was around Jerusalem. Running around and giving prophecies, nobody loved him. <laughs> no, but he was in Jerusalem. He wasn't in Israel, was he? What do you mean, nothing? I mean, I mean, within the, with, with the, around uh, Jerusalem. At that the, time, there was nothing else. The ten tribes were already exiled, gone. Oh, D- didn't Hashem say to uh, Jeremiah, "Go tell the people these things. Like, you'll, you'll get beaten and hurt, but I'll protect yeah, you. Yeah, and I won't, you won't get killed." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he almost get... killed. <laughs> Short of killed, he got everything. But yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. It was a time. In the beginning of Jeremiah's time, there was a king, Yoshiao, that tried to do a renaissance of bringing Jews back to Judaism. In the beginning, it was very exciting, but then it didn't work. The Jews didn't really change. Okay, number 20. We, <clears throat> we await salvation, but the harvest has passed, and summer is over, and we have not been saved. Which salvation are we awaiting? They are waiting. You can say God's salvation, and they didn't come. And also, at that time, the kingdom of Judah, who they trusted to, who they relied on politically? Egypt. Egypt. They were going against Babylon. With the, with the, Egypt is going to protect us. Egypt Jeremiah is going to ended us. up uh, dying in Egypt. You're right. Well, Jeremiah told them a whole day not to rely on Egypt, right? Yeah. Hundreds of times he told them, God wants you to surrender to Babylon, not to Egypt. But the Jews said, no, we're going with Egypt. We made peace process with Egypt, helped us out, right? We made peace process with Jordan, and yesterday we saw how much it's worth. Then um, the Jews always went on the wrong side of the politics. For we have a tradition. We never ruin our traditions in making mistakes. Then here is another example. Okay, number twenty-one. 
I am broken because I have seen how in the future my people will be broken. I am dulled, and desolation has taken hold of me. He says he's, he's paralyzed. He sees the future. He sees how bad it's going to be. Okay. Is there no Torah or mitzvahs among the Jewish people to save them like the healing balm from Gilad? Is there no sage, no spiritual doctor there? Why have my people not been healed and redeemed? He says, the text itself says, is there is no cure in Gilad? Is there no doctor there? Why nobody can cure them? Or the, in the commentaries, in parentheses, it's commentaries. It says, they don't have a doctor, a spiritual doctor. They don't have Torah or mitzvahs that can cure them. What's wrong with these people? Why, why they're still, why they're, they're going the wrong direction? Number 23. If only my head were water and my eyes fountains of tears so I could cry day and night over the slain of my people. He says it is so upset that it's only crying will give him some relief. He cannot even cry. That's how bad it is. That's the end of chapter 8. Chapter 9 continues like just on just the same word. It's, it's not even clear why this chapter was stopped here. <laughs> You know that the chapters in the Tanakh, in the Bible, was not set up necessarily. Who made the chapters? Rabbis. Really? No. no. The, the Masoretic period, right? In the 10th century. Somebody, somebody not Jewish, a Christian author, made the chapters. Oh. The Jewish people have Parshas, have Elias. The chapters is not a Jewish thing. Therefore, some chapters you can see that they're not really, that they're not really the right place to make a chapter. Every verse is a verse. There is parshas in the Torah. There is in spaces between. If you look at the Torah itself, you see spaces. That's how you go between stories. But the chapters are not uttered by Jewish people, but we go by them because everybody goes by them. There's no point to, to argue and to fight it. And in many times, it's divided correct, but many times not necessarily. Who made up the trope? The trope that comes from the beginning, all the way. That's, the trope is like yeah. punctuation. Yeah, right. That's the way to understand the story. That's the way the Jewish people didn't forget the Torah because they had the trope. Mm -hmm. That was oral tradition from Moshe. Yeah. I mean... Does that come from Hashem? Like that came yeah. The way the trope comes from Hashem, I don't know. No. I mean, how would somebody learn that the Jewish people, when they, they taught their children, they made a trope in a way. There is many tropes, actually. Not all tropes are exactly the same. Svardic trope is not exactly a Ashkenazi trope. Hmm. But the side, of course, the, the notations for the trope are not in the scroll. No, they're not. Right. They're not so, they're created I mean, it doesn't ever. do you any good unless... You remember you, it. You, you, it's a way of associating. You're right. They have to remember the trope. Right. And the Yemenite Jews, they are very good in remembering the trope. That the, the teachers used to teach them when they were very little kids, used to teach them the trope. And why to the boy who did not listen? Okay. They had a long uh, stick and they gave it to them. And all the Yemenites know the trope. I mean, the old generation. Because it's a melody, it's a melody. Sure, it's a melody. That's how you know when the beginning of the verse, you're at the end of the verse. Okay, chapter 9, number 1. If only I were in the desert at a traveler's inn so I could abandon my people and go away from them. For they are all adulterers, a bunch of traitors. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. 
First of all, what is that Jeremiah says? It's not clear if Jeremiah says it or God says it. In these two chapters and many others, the, the prophet speaks in his name and the name of God as going back and forth. Here he says, if only I could run away, go to the desert and leave my people. Who also, who else before did it? Oh, Jonah. Jonah tried to run away, not to the desert. No. Who else went to the desert? David? No. David also ran away from Saul, but not from his people. Elijah? Elijah. Elijah ran away. He was afraid they would kill him. He ran away to the desert. Here, Jeremiah says, I wish I could run away to the desert not to see the pain what is going to befell upon the Jewish people. On one end, he's loving them. He's so strong with them. He wants to be there with them. But he says, I wish I could go there. The other explanation is that God says it. God was in the desert when the Jewish people were in the desert. He says, I wish I can go away from, to, from, go away from the Jews and go to the desert. Okay, then because they're all uh, traitors. Okay, number two. They bend their tongues like bows to speak falsehood and hurt others. Those who grow powerful in the land do not do so to promote faith. For they go from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says God. Now, what's the main problem that Jeremiah is speaking about? He's speaking about that the Jewish people, that the people are not honest. They speak lies, they're not honest to each other. With the mouth, they're killing each other. They're gasping, they're lying. It becomes a culture of liars. Everybody's lying, and nobody thinks about saying the truth. And he continues with this in number three in an even more sharper way. Let each person beware of his friend, not to tell him your secrets. Don't trust any brother, for every brother expertly, and every friend goes around gossiping. Each man mocks another. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's stop right here. When, when in, the, in the recent history, I can tell you, it was like this in the communist Russia. People were afraid to tell each other because, not because the other person is going to tell about them, if the other person will be arrested and investigated, if you don't know, you don't know. You don't have to hide anything. Then you're better off not knowing. Then it was a culture in Russia. People never ask each other, what's your name? I can be talking to you for two years and I not know your full name. They want anonymity. Well, Nobody well, was asking each other the names. Also, the walls had ears, right? There was an expression. Yeah, better off. I uh, know. Everybody said to himself, better off not knowing. Talk about anything you want, uh, the, the weather and the distance, stories. Was there yeah. self-frightened of the state? Yeah. yeah and that's what he says. And people could not trust anybody because one brother is a communist, the other this. People, people did not trust their own children. They used to put them film under the cover. That the child should not see him putting out film because maybe he said something in the school and somebody will arrest him and it will be the end of it. Then that's what he says. Jeremiah tells him it was such a bad culture in Jerusalem at that time. He says you cannot trust your own brother. It's terrible. It's very sad. Number four. They do not speak the truth. They have trained their tongues to speak falsehood and they strive to be dishonest. You live in mid-deceit. In their deceit, they refuse to know me, says God. But it's all coming because they, they, they don't want to, they refuse to know me. Not refuse to believe in me, refuse to know me, to know God. That was the problem. 
Knowing God means feeling that God is around, having an awareness of God. Number six, I think we are, right? Therefore the God of hosts says, I will refine them and test them with suffering for what I can do to my people. I cannot leave them to destroy themselves through their own sins. Basically, God says, I cannot leave them. That's a, to a point, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a comforting message. Because they are bad, I have to correct them. I have to fix them. I cannot let them go like this. I thought with the first temple, the problem was idol worship. The second temple was more of a man-to-man -man problem. Obviously. There's a combination. <laughs> it's not so straightforward. Sure. It was always, ultimately, it was always a man-to-man -man problem. For, for God, between God and man, God will forgive you. But for man to man, God doesn't forgive. God cannot see how his children are fighting each other. If there is unity, everything will be worked out. And it's ultimately, but also, if people are idol worshippers and they don't believe in God, that there is no morality, there is no morality, it's holding. You cannot be an idol worshipper and be the nicest guy in town. It just doesn't work. Because what means an idol worshipper? You choose your idol. You choose your God. You do whatever you want. That's bottom line. You choose your God. Not God chooses you. You choose your God. Oh, I don't like this God. Don't take this God. You know, there's a famous joke about a rabbi who came to a synagogue. They wanted to interview him to take him a job. He tells them, here is my set of, of uh, beliefs, of uh, mission statements, so to speak. But if you don't like it, I have another one. <laughs> Understand? That's a problem. Then it sounds like a purely secular culture that we see now. I mean, it's the same thing in secular culture. The moment there is no accountability for higher power, I do whatever I want. This is relativism. Yeah, that if I do whatever I want, everything is available. I can justify every behavior. That's exactly the problem. You're right. Okay. Where are we? Number seven? Okay. Their tongue is a drawn arrow which speaks deception openly to a person speaking peacefully to his friends, but inside he plans to attack him. Basically, people are not honest. They say one thing, they smile to you, but deep down they are planning to kill you, to hurt you. Number eight. Shall I not watch them and punish them for this, says God? Shall my soul not take revenge on a nation like this? Wait, 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 wait. What after of Tisha Okay, let's continue number nine. I will weep a chant over the mountains and a lament over the pastures of the desert, for they have been laid waste so that no man passes by and no sound of cattle is heard. The birds of the sky and the beasts have moved and left. Everybody left, even the beast, even the... Go ahead. I will turn Jerusalem into rubble, into a den for snakes. I will make the cities of Yehuda desolate, void of inhabitants. And that's what actually happened for 52 years after the destruction of the first temple. Right. Judah was desolated. Nothing was done. Not Jews and not Jews, nothing. Okay, now it's number 11. Let's see, it says maybe something more whoever optimistic, is, kind of. Whoever is wise will understand the following, and whoever God has spoken to can interpret this. 
Why has the land been destroyed and laid waste like a desert, with no one passing through? God says... The question, why is the land lost? Alma of the Horets. God is answering. God says... It, it is, is because, because... God says it is because they abandoned the study of my Torah, which I have given before them, and therefore they did not obey me and did not follow it. Okay, let's stop right here. Because they abandoned, they abandoned me the Torah. They abandoned the Torah. He's asking why the land is desolated, because they abandoned the Torah. We'll read now, in the bottom of the page, number 11, there is a note of this verse. Go ahead. Whoever is wise will understand the following. Why has the land been destroyed, etc.? This question was put to the sages, prophets, and ministering angels, but they could not This answer. question, the Talmud says, was put to prophets, to sages, and to ministering angels, but they could not answer it. So God himself explained it, as the verse states, God says, it is because they abandoned the study of my Torah, etc. Okay, okay that they did not first recite the blessings over Torah study. Okay, the Talmud says the question and the answer is not a simple question. Why did then, because they abandoned the Torah, it's not such a, it doesn't need God himself to come up with such a good answer that everybody can answer it, right? Obviously the question is a little deeper and the answer is a little deeper. If a question was asked, why the land was desolated? Why we lost the land? Why we lost Israel? And not sages, and not prophets, and not ministering angels couldn't answer it, and you needed God himself to answer it, obviously there is a, there is a different conversation. It says because they, they obended my Torah. It's not written they obended the Torah. They obended my Torah, Torah T. What does this mean? That he says here, continue, they did not first recite it, the blessing over the Torah study. What does this mean? That's the Talmud answer. In the morning, before we study Torah, in the morning every day, we say the blessing, the same blessing that we say when we read from the Torah. That same blessing we say every morning. When you, before you learn Torah, you say a blessing. Why do we need to say a blessing before we do something? Before we eat, before we do a mitzvah, before we learn Torah? Is that good? To, to bring down godliness. To thank Hashem. Bring down godliness. To recognize? That I got the cup of water from God, right? Simple. To recognize that the Torah is from God. Let's continue to read a little bit. The Talmud concludes. The Talmud concludes that our verse must be referring to a failure to make the blessings over the Torah and not the actual neglect of Torah study, for otherwise the sages, prophets, and ministering angels would not have had difficulty answering such a message of gloom and destruction. After an opening which depicts the inevitable doom that is to come, the Haftorah relates heartfelt... No, 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 you're on the wrong page. I am? Turn the next page. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, wait. Turn the next page. Prophets and administrators would not have had difficulty answering a straight such a straightforward question. Mm -hmm. Why has the land been destroyed, etc.? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, thus, their sin was a failure to connect with the holiness and spirituality of the Torah and to draw down the divine presence. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the land was destroyed. That is, its physical matter remained without the holiness of the divine presence to be found there. From here, we can learn the tremendous importance of, approach, of appreciating the holiness and divine authorship of the Torah as a crucial prerequisite to Torah study. Okay, what is going on here? You can learn Torah 
and forget of God who gives the Torah. If you learn the Torah and you don't appreciate that you are talking of God's wisdom, and this is to bring you to a more spiritual place, and the Torah is to teach you something, it's not like you learn um, a science or you learn a math. You learn and you close the book and you move on. This is something that they have to teach you. You're dealing with the Torah of God. And that's what they were missing. They were missing the idea that they were, they were learning a, powerful, um, a Torah that God was given. The, the point they didn't make a blessing is not so much they didn't physically they forgot to make a blessing. Yeah, it could be. But they, even when they made a blessing, they were not thinking that this is God's wisdom. It's not human wisdom. And if you look at it, it's human wisdom. Oh, I don't understand it. I'll say a different explanation. I'll, I'll disagree with God. This is God. God gave me the honor to learn this Torah. I better treat it like the holiest thing, like God, something that belongs to God. And learn it with humbleness and learn, ask myself every day, what can the Torah teach me? And because they did not learn the Torah in such a way, they reached to everything. They were able to go down to even to idol worshiping. Because they, they, took the, they took, like the Torah is theirs, and they can do with it whatever they want. In, in, to a point, it's also, you know, some people, when the Rebbe came out with the whole idea of reaching out, taking, going out to secular Jews, and to teach them Torah, that many religious rabbis, great rabbis, learn Torah every minute of the day. He said, well, it's not going to work. Why should a secular Jew want to learn Torah? What is it, crazy? Why? What he has there? What is there for him? That's what he said. Why should he want to put on film? What is there for him? Somebody who thinks like this, to a point, is insulting the Torah. You understand? He looks at the Torah like, um, yeah, I learned Torah because I know it's the Torah of God and I enjoy it. But he doesn't see with the Torah as a message to every human being. With the Torah is relevant to 2017. And the Rebbe said the Torah is a message to everyone and people will like it. You have to have faith in your, in your product. It's almost like a guy who says, you come up with a new idea. And everybody knows the difference in America and Israel. In Israel, if you have a new invention, at least it was when, years ago, not today, this is now never going to work. Never, never. Everybody discouraged you. In America, people tell you, go for it. Yeah, what a great idea. That's a different in the world. If you don't believe in your product, who's going to buy it? Then you're right. A rabbi who doesn't believe that his message that a secular Jew will want to put on film will never be able to convince anybody to put on film. You have to believe in it. And that's, people learn Torah, but they didn't learn that it's Torah, see, my Torah. They didn't realize it's God's Torah. And if it's God's Torah, it's, 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 it's an unlimited Torah, and it's a message to every human being, wherever he is in every generation. Right. So it's a universal Absolutely. document. And in Abraham, at the beginning, God said, no, all the families of the earth will bless themselves. To be like you. By you. Absolutely. This is a unit, and Abraham traveled all over, Egypt and everywhere, basically yeah, and by, spreading and, the word. And by the way, it's written in the beginning of this parasha, Deuteronomy, we're going to read Deuteronomy, we read, we read the beginning yeah. of, no, we're going to read Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, I'm already confused. 
Then the, that's written that Moses, what's Deuteronomy? It's one long speech that Moses given the last five weeks of his life. It's written, he translated the Torah in 70 languages. That's what's written. Whatever it means, I cannot tell you exactly what it means. If he translated only the Ten Commandments, he translated 70 languages, maybe only 36. The point is, he created the ability to translate the Torah to other languages. It means he created the ability that the Torah is a message to every human being, not just to Jews. And that started with Moses. That's why there is in the Torah some Egyptian words. Where there is an Egyptian word in the Torah? Some are very famous. I know. That's a little... Very good. The first word of the Ten Commandments is Anochi. Now it's a word in Hebrew. Anochi means me. That Rashi says, Anochi Loshen Mitzri. Anochi is an Egyptian word. Why should God start to take a moment an Egyptian word? Eh, we find some Jewish word. I couldn't say Ani. Ani is the regular word. Ani, Hashem Elokech. I am your God. In many, many places, it's Ani, not Anochi. God wanted, in the Ten Commandments, in the Torah, you already put some words of other languages to give the space for other for the translation of the Torah to others. I mean, in the beginning, there was the Torah in Aramaic. And oh, it's and not, it wasn't Greek. so simple. The Torah was translated to Greek. It was a story that in the second temple, the famous story that a king commissioned in Egypt, Talmud, the king commissioned 120 scholars, put them in 120 small rooms, and told them to translate the Torah. And he wanted to get them in trouble because nobody translates the same way that another person translates. And miraculously, they made changes, but all of them made the same changes. Well, they to set two Exactly. And the, and the day the translation was completed, in Egypt was a happy day, and in Israel was a day considered like the destruction, like the breaking of the tablets. Why? Because the moment everybody can understand the Torah, now everybody is a chokham and his own. So it's it now it says, it says it can't be abrogated. They, they can, they, everyone takes his own commentary. You can't add a More than that, every word in the Torah, the moment you translate it, you can only translate the surface. You cannot translate the deeper meaning. For example, even here in the Torah, there is, it's written nation, nation. But in Hebrew, it's batami. It calls them the do, my daughter nation like an ex in, is expression of endearing. Even while he reprimands them, it's, it's lost in English. It's not even translated. And if you want, it's a, we are in, in whatever, it's in a few places here, in this page and this page, he's using the word batami, the daughter, my daughter nation, so to speak. Batya. <laughs> not batya, batya is a name, yeah. But bat, the, what I need to say is there is, so much lost in, that's even on the surface, there is an out limited. In any case, that's what he says here. They were learning Torah, but they didn't believe that, the, they didn't learn that as the Torah of God. We are number 13. They followed the fancies of their they followed the They followed the fancies of their hearts and the Baal idols as their father, fathers taught them. As their fathers taught them. They continue the tradition. Their fathers were idol worshippers and they were idol worshippers. Therefore, this is what the God of hosts, the God of Israel says. 
I will feed this people wormwood and make them drink hemlock water. I will scatter them among nations which neither they nor their ancestors knew, and there I will send the sword after them until I have destroyed them. Beautiful. <laughs> Continue. This is what he, God of hosts, says. Contemplate this impending misfortune. Call the dirge sinners, singers, and have them come. Send for the skilled women who compose verses of doom, and have them come. Let them hurry and start lamenting for us, so our eyes will run with tears and our eyeball, eyelids will drip with water. For the sound of wailing is heard from Tizion. Zion. Zion. Mm -hmm. How we are ruined. We are greatly ashamed for we have abandoned our land and have been thrown out of our dwellings. O woman, listen to God's words of impending punishment. Let your ears take heed of the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters how to wail, and each woman teach dirges to her friend. For even if we shut out our doors, death will enter our windows and come into Places. Our palaces, cutting off babies outside and young men in the streets. Okay, let's you continue. Say this to the Jewish people, says Hashem, that men's carcasses will fall, numerous like dung on the fields, like sheaves behind the reaper, with no one to gather them up for burial, for burial, for they will be afraid to leave their homes themselves. Okay. Now comes something a little more optimistic. The end of the Torah is usually finishing in a more, in a more positive note. God, Barry. This is what Hashem says: the wise man should not be proud of his wisdom. The warrior. The wise man should not be proud of this wisdom. Why not? Okay, continue. The warrior should not be proud of his heroism. Okay. And the rich should not be proud of his riches. Oy, oy, oy. Nothing to be proud of. Not of our wisdom. Not of our strength. Not of our richness. Go ahead. For none of them will be able to save themselves. Rather, it is only with this that a person may be proud of himself, knowing and understanding me. For I am Hashem who performs kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, since these are the things that I desire, what? says Hashem. What is he saying? What you should be proud of? Knowing God, learning and knowing God. What is to know God? He gives an explanation. Knowing God is not enough just to know God. Whoa, let's learn Kabbalah. We'll go to our, for a weekend. We'll study Kabbalah. What is knowing God? He says right away. Understanding. For I am God. Knowing and understanding God. And he says, going God who was doing what? Kind perform kindness, justice, justice, and righteousness. righteousness. Knowing God means to do what God is doing. Action. By the end of the day, it's a matter of action. Every time the Rebbe used to speak about, used to speak for five hours, give lectures, and then used to end the whole thing. Then what's the bottom line? What are we going to do tomorrow? And he laid down the bed. He never gave a lecture, no matter what the issue was, without a bottom line, a conclusion. What does this mean to me, how I'm going to practice it, how is going to be motivating me to do A, B, and C. Every time it was a different message, but it will always have to end up with something to do. Because God is the God of justice, kindness, and, cha and charity. That's what God is all about, righteousness. Now, 
It doesn't mean a person should not be pr pr uh, proud of his, of his wisdom. If they learned, he should be embarrassed about it, what? But he should have uh, humility to recognize that it's a gift from Hashem. That it, everything it's derives from him. To spread his knowledge around. Oh, then he could be proud of his knowledge, he could be proud of his heroism or his physical strength. He can be proud of his richness. As long as he knows God and he knows that all of them come from God, then it's good. We don't say he should throw away the money. We don't say that money is bad or knowledge is bad or strength is bad. God created all of this. As long as it's coming from the right place, as long as you recognize that it's coming from God and you put it to the service of God to spread righteousness and justice and charity and kindness, then it's perfect. There is a similar thing to it. We say, Sheker achen ve'evel ayofi. Isha irat Hashem iti tala. Who recognizes this? Sheker achen ve'evel ayofi. Only a praiseworthy woman should be in Eshet Chai. What is written there? Who remembers the verse in complete? Beauty is not. Beauty is not. And no, no, beauty is not. And charm is uh, deceptive. is deceptive. A praise uh, um, a woman a who is a God fearing woman should be praiseworthy. Fine, yeah, sure. Then what does this mean? Then then it's it's a bad thing. God made beauty. God made charm. If you are a if you are a God fearing person then the beauty and the channel will be used for good things. Nothing wrong than that. Just the opposite. As long as there were once to the, to the Rebbe came a whole delegation of beauty queens from Israel. They came to America and they, had, they called their Rebbe's office. The Rebbe's to give out dollars on Sunday to every person, give them a blessing. And they asked if they can come. They will come all dressed up modesty and everything. If they can come together, get blessing for the rabbit, they, 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 they said to the office, told them, sure. They came, somebody presented them, this is the old uh, group who came, of beauty contest, they came to America. Then the rabbit told them this line, the rabbit told them, it's written in, the, in Proverbs, Sheker Achem Vevel Ayofi, the were Israelis, they understood Hebrew, says, praise, if, if, you are, if you are a God-fearing person, then the, the, the beauty and the, and, and the charm is praiseworthy, nothing wrong with that. Just like here. If you are, if you are becoming arrogant of because of your knowledge and your money and your strength, that's a problem. But if you know God and you use all of your tools to spread what God wants, that you are praiseworthy. Then it's, that's the will of God, the desire of God.